podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera. Back after a... Uh, hiatus of only, I guess, only an extra week that I missed uh, my international break, if you will. Um, I, as you guys know, as if you have followed me online, I've been without uh, internet and electricity for large parts of the last week. But uh, luckily, those things were restored just in time to talk about what is apparently pretty front of mind for a surprisingly high number of my English friends, uh, and that is the American election. Joining me today to talk about that, uh, Blue Room OG himself, Patty Boylan, as well as Matt Flusk, who I had on last time we uh, convened for Kickabout uh, to talk about <laughs> to talk about something that now seems so far in the distance. Uh, I, I know Matt, we were talking a lot about Everton, but then we kind of pivoted at the end to talk about the uh, the uh, the 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 vote on child food subsidies and those sorts of things. And that just almost, it was like two weeks ago, Matt. And it feels like a year ago because this has been the longest three and a half plus day stretch of my life. (laughs) Matt, uh, I want to start really quickly, quickly with you. And then we're going to get to an update on where things kind of stand because this is a podcast. So I, I, I want to kind of do a timestamp of where things stand in the election as we record. But Matt, tell, tell our listeners, how long were you awake uh, on Tuesday in terms of consecutive hours? Because I, this, this blows me away. And I, and I feel like this was really your golden ticket onto the kickabout. There's, I feel like you've earned it. So <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, so tell us, how many hours in a row were you awake uh, over? Uh, starting on Tuesday? Uh, it was 41 hours. So uh, I got up <laughs> on Tuesday, 8 o'clock, normal, had a normal working day, and then up all night. And my plan was to stay up till about 5 or 6 when some key information came in and then get some kip. But yeah. I think I got to about half 7, 8 o'clock, and then I had to leave to get a haircut at midday. So I thought, what's the point? So I just powered through. And then after my haircut, again, plan to get a bit of kip but then my friend asked me to go to dinner so i was like yeah okay then i'll do that instead and finally got to bed at about one o'clock in the morning i think it was so oh my god amazing patty uh patty i, I i'll ask you both this but i'm going to start with you on this particular question which i think that for those of my listeners who are american i i I think that the more you get to know, I think one of the big surprising things for me is I've developed uh, close relationships with people from another country over the years. It's been 
learning things that, that surprise you and oftentimes go against what your kind of perceived or stereotypical wisdom is about what they care about or what they're interested in. I have found the level of interest, and this may be Trump-driven, Patty. It may be a just a general nerdery around elections, because I know Matt is just someone who is is nerd about elections, and I mean that in the best possible way. But Patty, why are you so interested in why are you so interested in the election? Why do you think there are so many people, uh, you know, in the UK in general that seem, and, and maybe I'm just talking to kind of my Everton niche audience here. But why why is there such high interest in the election and specifically this election? Well, taking myself first, I'm, I think, more interested in politics than the average British public member. I, even when it comes to our own elections, local council elections, stuff like that, I, in my spare time, do read books about politics and do, do like to keep on top of what's happening. So this is just a logical continuation of my interest, I think, in that broad sphere anyway. But I think what we've got at the moment, there are two things I'd point out. The first is that, Rob, you probably know within the groups you speak to on WhatsApp and on Twitter, the Evertonians, I think quite a lot of us are actually more invested in it again than the average British public member. You talk about Matt there and our Matt Jones as well. Um, These are people that I think have slightly more niche interests <laughs> than a lot of people. So I think that there's that element first. But then the second is that this feels like it, an historic election. And of course it is mm-hmm. a, a really pivotal election, not just for the US, but for the globe in effect. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's also an interesting time in British politics because, I mean, it, it emerged the other day that Joe, Joe Biden and Boris Johnson have never actually met in person. And hmm. we've been hearing now for quite a while from kind of Tory sympathetic press about how the British establishment were pivoting towards, they, they'd envisaged the Biden win and they were pivoting towards kind of wooing him rather than Trump um, after the fairly weird special relationship between uh, Trump and and Johnson, of course. So there, there are a lot of things to throw in here, but I just think that you look at the level of investment, particularly on on Twitter. Twitter is a as a platform is something that's about instantaneous news. The people that go on it, if you're not like me, and I have to go on it for my job, but the people that go on it, like Matt, for example, he... I imagine is somebody that likes that instant instantaneous news factor. He likes being kept abreast of what is happening right then, right there. Uh, so the people that tend to use Twitter, I think, are the ones that are m- more interested in, let's say, current affairs. And again, big, broad, broad brush there. Yeah, it, it, it felt historic and it, it felt really important. It felt pivotal, not just for the US, but for the UK and for the rest of the world too. And I think that's why there's such an interest in this particular US election. Myself, I've, I'm interested in, I've, I've be, I was interested in the last one. I was interested in the one before that. And I will continue to be, even hopefully after the, the ghost of Trump has, has long disappeared. Well, and that's that's an interesting, you know, point, you know, place to 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 turn at some point is does Trump go away? And I don't even mean that in a holding on to the holding on to power sort of way, because there there really isn't a great mechanism for him to be able to do that as much as the the kind of urban legends about how he could potentially try to do that are, are there. There there doesn't really appear to be a lot of teeth in it. But I think it's important to note that that 
as we talk about the election, and I want to kind of level set with where we currently are as we, we hit record, um, Trumpism is not going away. I want to be really clear on that. Trump may, you know, like a lot of movements, and regardless of what you think of Donald Trump, um, his ability to mobilize uh, people who perceive themselves for whatever reason to be disaffected, to play on, you know, bitterness and um, some grievance, you know, grievance politics, whatever you want to call it. Like that's not going away. I think the only difference in the future will be that there will be more competent candidates who run uh, with with those particular, um, you know, objectives in mind uh, who will look at these last four years and see, wow, I didn't know a president could get away with these types of things. What would happen if a competent uh, Republican <laughs> who had the same aims did that. I think that's the scariest part about the future, but I, I don't want to get too down that rabbit hole. I want to start by let's let's talk about where things currently stand because I think they're I think when you talk about the Electoral College, it can be a little confusing. Uh, but but essentially, by now, most of you can Google how the American election system works uh, for reasons that I will never for reasons that I both understand and don't understand, we do not go by a strictly popular vote here to elect a, a president. Uh, we use proportional representation in the form of the Electoral College. And based on census and population figures, states have varying numbers of electoral votes. But it is winner take all in those states. So if you have 50.1% of the vote or you are even you just have to actually not even that you just have to have the majority of the vote in that state you get all of the electoral votes the only exceptions are Nebraska and Maine where they establish proportional representation Nebraska and Maine each have a one delegate district uh, those can be key and that could prove key for Biden I don't think it'll end up needing to be but um, the other uh, generally speaking it's sort of a mathematical exercise and the magic number is 270. Right now, um, what, where do things stand in that regard? I think that's kind of a nuanced uh, answer. We were talking, Patty and I were talking about this here at the beginning. Um, there are a variety of media outlets that will do this thing called that where they will do a call, uh, where they will say, we are calling the state of Texas or Georgia or Ohio or, um, you know, a, any state you could, I mean, obviously just any state that will say we're calling it for this candidate, meaning they are saying based on all of the available data, the, elect, the election feedback, et cetera, they are calling. Um, and that is generally done relatively conservatively because they want to make, be sure that they know that. Um, but what we've had here in this environment where all these media organizations have very intentionally, uh, you know, because of this atmosphere that the president has created where uh, he is even as we speak trying to sow all this doubt into our electoral system and our election system, um, media organizations have had varying degrees of confidence or willingness to project. The gold standard in the United States generally is the Associated Press. They are, uh, I guess, akin to, for our, our UK listeners, the, the, the PA, the Press Association. Um, they have, uh, they and Fox News both have Biden at 264 electoral votes. The magic number is 270. Um, if you get 270, that's it. Uh, it's over. Um, the other, the other news organizations, NBC, New York Times, CBS, uh, and a fair few others have Biden at 253. Why is there that discrepancy? Uh, that comes down to the state of Arizona. Arizona was called first and very early on, and 
Arizona, by the way, which has been a long time Republican state, was called for Biden on Wednesday, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday uh, by uh, Fox News, and, or may have been Wednesday early morning, depending on you know where you are in time zone wise. Uh, and then a few hours later was followed by a call from the Associated Press. Um, so the Associated Press and Fox News have both been, have they faced a lot of backlash? A lot of people have said, you know, are you sure about this call? There's a lot of votes out. Both of them have vehemently defended that call. So the reason I bring that up is because right now we are waiting on results from Nevada, you know, full results from Arizona, but Georgia, which should complete their count here in the next uh, couple of the next few hours. Uh, North Carolina, which will take you know a few more days. Pennsylvania, which may take a few more days to get their full counts, but a call can probably be made before that. Um, I think I've covered the main ones there. Those were, those were all still waiting on. If Biden wins any state or any state, I'm sorry, is called by the Associated Press or by Fox News, they will then declare him the winner because any state right now that is outstanding has enough electoral votes to put him at, uh, at 270. Um, whereas for NBC, um, it, you know, and others, it, the only magic state or the only state that can put him at 270 right now is Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. If Pennsylvania is called with its 20 electoral votes, e even with them, Biden down at 253 right now, that would put him at 273 and it would be over. Um there's no, I don't really have a sense of what will be called first. Georgia will finish their their count, I believe, will definitely finish their count before Pennsylvania. But because of how narrow the margin is, they may be conservative about actually calling it. Wisconsin, uh, they're, they're, the, the, Dem the Democrats there basically said hours before it was called by any of the media organizations that, they, that Biden had won by 20,000 votes. But yet there was still a wait uh, for that to be called. So anyway, I've set kind of the, the scene there. The bottom line right now, uh, is that Biden is in a very advantageous position. He has several paths currently to winning the presidency. Um, we, I, I would say that right now, Trump is is filing lawsuits all over the place trying to, you know, that have currently, you know, at, at this point, none of which have proceeded anywhere, uh, basically trying to get, in some states, the votes count, you know, more votes counted, uh, or, you know, as if they're not <laughs> yeah. being counted. And in some states, he wants the vote to stop. Uh, so, you know, obviously he wants it to stop if he is in the lead somewhere like in Pennsylvania, uh, where his margin has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Um, it's projected by most of the smart pundits I've read out there who are analyzing the election returns that uh, based on where the outstanding vote is, that it's going to swing heavily for Biden as it has been over the last 24 four hours. Uh, there really isn't a lot of doubt amongst many of them that Pennsylvania will go to Biden. Mm. Uh, but Patty, you asked me at the beginning of this, uh, do I feel comfortable saying Biden's going to win this? I, I think the, let's start there. Let's start with um, anxiety, American anxiety, angst. Uh, I have felt... And like many have felt, uh, and maybe you guys do to a certain degree, Tr President Trump has this very interesting thing that is uniquely him in that on the one hand, he is uniquely incompetent uh, as a president in terms of actually governing, but yet creates an aura of inevitability at times as if he can tell you like he'll just ignore norms and he'll just violate orders and blah, blah, blah. And he can just declare things to be true. And yet, and his enablers will make it true. So I think that there's been this sense that, you know, there are kind of these urban legends that have popped up that, oh no, he's going to, you know, the Supreme court, he'll just 
take it to the Supreme Court as if you can push a button and the Supreme Court convenes and says, oh, yeah, we're going to just throw these votes out. Like the legal system in, in America is pretty nuanced, as I'm sure it is in most advanced countries. And it requires, you know, you'd actually challenge it multiple levels before it makes it to the Supreme Court. But there's this boogeyman quality to Trump that I think is kept people like me from, you know, like in a normal environment, I would, I think everyone would be saying right now that this is over, but yet no one wants to say it until there's calls made. Um, Matt, I'm going to start with you on that. Uh, You're, you're someone who is certainly plugged in and you ask me, I know constantly lots of questions about, you know, the landscape here and so on. Is there a sense over, over there that, that, Trump has this sort of boogeyman quality that that he will find a way uh, the the dark arts the dark forces the whatever you call it that he can leverage uh, is that a thing there too because it certainly yeah. feels like it's something here it really is um, everyone almost everyone I've spoken to over here from the casual observer to people who just watch the news they all was just like oh Trump's got to win again he's got to win again like you know oh the bad thing's going to happen because that's what we've become accustomed to over the past few years um, but I was trying to reassure them all going into it that everyone's got this sense that the polls are wrong the polls are always wrong because there's been a couple of results in the past few years 2016 both Brexit and Trump where the polls have oversold the from our point of view better option but this time out the polls would have had to have been wrong like threefold wrong by an historic margin of error for this to be uh, Trump's election. So I've, I've been trying to reassure people over here. Obviously, we don't have as much skin in the game as you guys. But uh, yeah, it's he's like a hydra, isn't he, Trump? You cut off his head and three grow back. <laughs> and it's It felt like at times he was bulletproof. But I think especially when he gave that rambling speech, um, I want to say last night or yesterday my sense of time has gone it was wednesday it would have been it, over here it was like 2 30 in the morning on wednesday like yeah. middle of the night and so yeah. it would have been probably you know or relatively early morning for you guys yeah, yeah. when he gave that speech you, you saw a couple of people you spoke about his enablers and i think we're beginning to see them shrink away now uh you saw ben shapiro on twitter chris christie these people who come out to bat for him time and time again defending the indefensible and even they're taking a step back now going whoa hang on a minute either for actual moral objections that what he said and the way he said it could potentially incite violence and is the closest thing to a a fascist speech that an american presidential candidate or president has given in my memory or that i know of at least um, mm-hmm. or if the reason is that they just know that the game is up and they're now rats leaving a sinking ship trying to save their own skins and preserve a bit of their own credibility as Trump is dragged kicking and screaming by a dress marine out of the White House on the 19th of January. So, yeah. Just to follow on from what Matt's saying there and, and maybe even pedal back a, a step further, I think what's basically happened, certainly in my mind, both here and in the U.S., is that it's become so apparent that we're not living in what I'd class as a politically normal time and era. Um, Some of the things, what what I mean by that is some of the things that Trump did before the last election in 2016 would have, in my opinion, derailed most political campaigns in the 10, 20 years before. 
And the same over here with, with the Brexit campaign and kind of flagrant, fragrant lies on the fronts of buses and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but we live in a markedly different era to those times. I think part of it's to do with the internet, p- perpetuating myths and falsehoods. But what was so unpalatable then has almost become more palatable now. And that has, I think made us believe that there's this aura around Trump. He's, he's bulletproof, nothing nothing he can say. And he's his own worst enemy, by the way. Um, it's not it's not Joe Biden or anybody else. He, he, he slips up more than anybody else. But when he does slip up, I think there's been a feeling that he's not going to get caught out and that there's a, a large swathe of the American electorate, a bit like with, with Boris Johnson in this country and the Conservative Party, there's a large swathe of the electorate that will more or less vote for him regardless. Um, and and it's a, it, like like I say, it's the same here. There's, I saw Match tweet the other day talking about the forty percent that that always vote conservative regardless. And it doesn't matter what Boris Johnson does. It doesn't matter what his his main kind of special advisor Dominic Cummins does. Um, and his behaviour has obviously been pretty outlandish over the last twelve months in particular. Those people still vote for him. Um, so for a while, there was perhaps a sense of inevitability. Like Matt, my mind was put at ease by the polls, not because I say that the polls are entirely right, they're going to be correct to the nth degree, but because even within the margin of error, there didn't seem like a route for, for Donald Trump. That said, the reason why I stayed up late on election night in the US, a little bit like Matt, although not quite as long as Matt, was because I was I was hoping to have some nice positive news from Florida early doors that was gonna <laughs> yeah. put, that was gonna put my mind at rest and i had resolved before because I, I like matt i would stay up all night I, I did for brexit i did for the last british general election um i had resolved this time i'm working the next day i need to be fully at it in my head and i can't afford a late late night as soon as that <laughs> florida thing happens you, you think to yourself have the polls just got this so 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 badly wrong uh-huh. that um I, I i do need to stay up i can't afford to miss any of this um and yeah that, that's not proven to be the case i think we'll actually look back in time on florida and the specifics of florida as very much that and an anomaly rather than the bellwether of of what was to come and yeah Florida has always had very, I mean, there's a reason why Florida man and uh, Florida being Florida is a, is a thing here because Florida <laughs> kind of exists in its own universe. And that's especially true politically. Um, Florida is not particularly, Florida is important. It's got a lot of electoral votes, but it's not particularly a, what you would consider a bellwether state in terms of what happens in Florida will certainly be indicative of everything else. Um, and, and I want to talk about that uh, because, you know, Patty, you you bring up something interesting about um, the way in which um, the world has changed. There's not a normal kind of political life that we live in uh, and, and how much the Internet has to do with it. And frankly, our echo chambers uh, have become yeah, yeah. The, the, the primary ground that we all live in. Uh, and I learned that lesson the hard way in 2016, where I was just convinced there was no way that someone like Trump could ever be elected president, that this is a serious job and that people wouldn't ultimately vote for him. Uh, and boy, I, I learned that that lesson the, the hard way. But in, in, and that has created narrative. Uh, and of course, the narrative sometimes is shaped by um, the way things develop online uh, and the order in which they develop online. So Florida is really interesting because 
there's been a, a slew of narratives that were shaped by the order of the the results being uh, announced. And, and people who are listening to this may be wondering, well, why do the states count ballots differently? Why do some of them take so long and others you, you get a count on or get a projection earlier? That is because in the United States, and this is based on how our constitution is written, uh, the, 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 the system that we have here defers to the states to essentially maintain their own uh, legislatively dictated uh, election laws. And uh, in states, uh, very disproportionately, that have Republican-controlled legislatures, uh, they refuse to make, in this COVID year that we live in, they refuse to make uh, changes that would have allowed for mail-in and absentee balance to be counted ahead of time in many states. Uh, Florida actually was one where they were counting uh, before uh, the you know the election day so that they could get their counts out faster. Whereas Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, those states did not uh, you know have did not have the ability to have that flexibility, and so uh, therefore. Um, the narrative got shaped kind of early in the night, even though um, Florida was never a state Biden was planning on or needed. And by the way, you can tell a lot about what a candidate thinks about a state really and his chances, his or her chances there based on where he or her uh, spend time in the final few days of the election. Biden never spent time in, never spent serious time in Texas, uh, certainly didn't spend any late on in Texas uh, and didn't in Florida as well. Um, a lot of times the internal polling that the, that the, the candidates do. They, they seem to know things about what is going to happen. But also one of the criticisms of Hillary Clinton's campaign previously was that uh, they were naive uh, about where they should be campaigning, trying to, you know, for instance, campaign back in 2016 in Arizona late when they really shouldn't have uh, and so on. Uh, whereas Biden, from the very beginning, his campaign has been very disciplined. They, they're not, they're not, their desire is not to try to win, as someone put it the, the other day, they're not trying to win a West Wing election that's really inspiring that, you know, in terms of we're going to get 400 electoral votes and, and everyone in America is just going to repudiate Donald Trump. I think they were realists and they said, what is the path to 270? 270 is the only number that really ultimately matters. And I think that there's some truth to that, or not some truth, that is the truth uh, in terms of winning the election. And so his focus, Biden can't campaign's focus has been on Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania uh, to an outsized degree. But um, And we've seen how that's begun to pay off for him as well. He's gotten wins there and flipped uh, some of those Trump voters in those states that, that Trump won by very narrow margins in 2016 over to him. And so I, I think the narrative, though, on Twitter, especially a lot of Democrats freaking out about now now they are back to saying, see, these poll modelers don't know anything. Polling is terrible. And, and again, I, I think the point, Matt, you made about um, I, I think that there's a distinction there between polling and modeling. Uh, mod, you know, po- modeling is only done based on the available polls. But even the models said there can be almost twice as much of an error as last time and Biden would still win. And they, you know, Nate Silver, Nate Cohn, uh, you know, G. Elliott Morris from The Economist, they all said multiple times before this that 
while their model has a high percentage prediction of Biden winning, that is not the same as saying, for instance, a 90% chance of winning doesn't mean you win 90% of the votes. And they also said over and over that there could absolutely be a polling error of a similar size as last time. But even then, that would uh, still result in a Biden win. And because Florida fell to Trump so early, a lot of people are like, see, this polling is ridiculous. No one knew anything. Um, you know, the, 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 the Senate race is going to come down to a coin flip, uh, most likely going to still be under Republican control. And, and so the narrative was really shaped by those early results. But as time has gone on, as these absentee and early votes have been you know, counted, many of which were submitted you know, by Democrats, especially a month in advance, you had this sea change in, in, in how things have gone. And of course, uh, you know, not knowing the result in one night is frustrating for a lot of us. But yet at the same time, if you're a Democrat, you want all the votes counted. And really, if you're an American, you ought to want all of the votes counted. Patty, just to pick you up on that, I think it's interesting because that's not a rational response. What we saw from people on Twitter, Democrats after the result in Florida, because there was still quite evidently a clear path to victory for Biden, and he didn't like like you say he didn't need it. I had the same slightly irrational response, and I think because this is something where quite often it's governed by the heart. It's not always, you don't always detach the two things, if that makes sense. And yeah. um, you you look for something, there's a, a form of confirmation bias that takes place where you look for something that kind of reinforces your sense of dread. And I think mm-hmm. it, it's like, for example, it's like, I don't know, let, let's talk about, say, Everton in the, the first couple of minutes of the game against Newcastle, where you see all these midfields on the pitch and in your head you've decided that's just not going to work. It just can't work because it it doesn't make any sense. Why would you play 15 midfielders in the same lineup? (laughs) Um, I'm exaggerating, but it it did feel like that, didn't it, at times? Yes, it did. As soon as as the clock ticks and five, ten minutes go by, you're still, the sample size is still really small and you're still, in a sense, waiting to get into the kind of the proper throws of the game. But as soon as Everton don't create chances in those five, ten minutes, immediately then that, that that worry comes back. And that again, that's not head, is it? It's it, it's heart. And politics, I think, is a little bit like sport. You, you have your team. Quite often, most people have their team, particularly the people you're talking about, the Democrats. They have their team. They want somebody to win. This is not always logical. Uh, and you can't always control, I, I don't think, what, what happens. Um, but no, I, I don't know if this is where you're intending this to go, but I, I think Florida is quite an interesting case in point because I did see your tweet earlier, Rob, about um, kind of the way Latinos and, and are grouped mm-hmm. together and they, they become this one homogenous group. And because the Latino voting in Florida is doing this, and again, Latino in big quotation marks there, that means that in Arizona, they're going to do this as well. And in all these other different places, they're going to they're gonna do the same thing. Quite often, life does just not work like that. And as, as you say, it was just an oversimplification, I think, of of, of those various different groups of people um, and what they were inclined to do. Because as, as, yeah, as, as we all know, maybe what the Cubans in Florida think might be markedly different to what, I don't know, Mexican people Puerto in Ar- think. Ar- Arizona yeah, Mexicans, think, or yeah, yeah. The, the Puerto Ricans in Oklahoma City. Right, but but also you know Mexicans uh, living along the border in in uh, or Hispanic and Latinos 
uh, pr- primarily of Mexican descent who live along the Texas border have varying, very different concerns than potentially those in Arizona whose experiences with political parties are uh, shaped by local and state concerns. I mean, I, I think that sometimes, uh, you know, particular groups are, are kind of lumped together and they're asked, well, why are they doing this or why are they not voting this way? And, and, and I always kind of point out that, you know, you don't always ask that about the white people in the same way. <laughs> like, well, why don't they, as why don't they all agree on, on something? Um, it gets to the heart of a question, Matt, that I, I want to follow up with you on, which I think is a question that it, I've gotten in some form a lot over the last several years. I even got it uh, recent, you know, in the last couple of days from, um, from, you know, as you guys know by now, I mean, the majority of my, my social media following of what I have, which is, you know, it's not huge, but what I do have is very predominantly from the UK and from Europe because of, of Everton. And I get asked the question a lot or some form of this question, which is how can so many people vote for Trump? Uh, you know, like they, they view this, they look at this election and, the, you know, especially like after these last four years, how can how can anyone vote for Trump? How can so many people? And I think that that question in and of itself is just a testament to what I said before about the echo chambers that we live in and the fact that, you know, some my outrage personally over having a president who is a racist um, who is a, a, like, let's, let's not mince words here. Um, uh, if it, if it, if it talks and it walks and it looks like a fascist, it's a fascist, you know, um, that's what Trump, Trump, Trump doesn't just happens to exist in a, in a, in a, in a country, in a government where all of his fascist tendencies and whims can't be indulged, but that's what he essentially aspires to in, in the form of, 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 you know, catering to his ego. But I get asked that question a lot. And the, and the bottom line is, is, and I talk to people all the time. I have family members who are Trump voters that they're con- they don't, some of them just don't care about any of that stuff. The things that you care about, that you're outraged about are not the things that everyone else does. Some of them are very, bo- I know people who are very bottom line people. They're like, my uh, my retirement accounts and, and investments are good under under Trump. So, and that's all I really care about. They're very bottom line, single issue voters. Um, I have multiple issues that have to do with decency on some level. But uh, as a Puerto Rican, I'm very I, I'm very I am outraged at the treatment of of Puerto Rico by this administration. As I've said, you know, many many times, uh, I have concerns really just more than anything. Even if I want to quote put the racism and bigotry and all that stuff to the side, which is really funny to say that it's the lack of just general competency. The fact that our government, you know, crucial key positions in our government infrastructure just aren't filled. Like imagine as much as you guys think about like Boris Johnson, like imagine him just being like, I'm just not going to appoint this person that heads this office. Cause I just don't want to do it. I, I don't feel like doing the work. I mean, that's the kind of thing we have here. It's a lack of competence. And so Matt, I want to ask you that question of, you know, you, I think, understand a little more having studied this a lot in terms of the, the numbers and the behaviors and, and the midterm elections and the things that you're really plugged into. Do you think, um, and maybe this goes back to the conversations we've had in our group chat about uh, during the primaries, like why not Bernie? Uh, why Joe Biden, et cetera? Do you think as this is, election has unfolded and, and as time has gone on, you've consumed more of this, do you think you have a better understanding of quote, why there are people who vote for Trump. I think I could not so much understand it. I could I could make guesses, but I wouldn't be able to put numbers on them. 
So, obviously, in the presidential election, the personality comes out a lot more. But fundamentally, people don't register as Trump supporters. They register as Republicans. So it might take a lot for an individual to take that vote away from them. And uh, so you could call it ignoring the racism and the misogyny and all of that. But a lot of these people might reason with themselves that you know all politicians are bad anyway but at least this one like you said at least this one's going to do well for me pension fund or something like that and then you also have the hyper local issues as well um like arizona for example i i hadn't really thought about arizona before this until obviously the result came through and they and even then uh, i saw the results saw the senate results uh with mark kelly potentially taking that one i didn't even know he was standing i like astronaut mark kelly talk about i know talk about a hell of a candidate if, if any if not a cool else, guy yeah joe biden was a down ticket candidate underneath him because he would have picked up a lot of votes just by his his military service and then his career and mm. he's also been quite uh, prominent being uh, the husband of gabby giffords as well and then obviously it didn't occur to me till about yesterday arizona of course is john mccain country so right in that state that there would have been a lot of people who I haven't actually looked at the numbers for the Libertarian candidate, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Libertarian candidate might have taken a couple of votes based on um, John McCain's treatment at the hands of Trump and the way that he... Um, and on the Libertarian candidate, actually, it is quite hilarious to see so many close states where the margin of victory looks like it's going to be a fraction of what the third-party candidate got. And this time, it's not the Democrats who are, are being impacted by it. But... The, yeah, I don't like to characterize people who vote for a certain party or a certain candidate as all bad because ultimately you've got to win a lot of those people over and you need to understand the reasons why they voted for that particular candidate. Um, and uh, this is also yeah. why I'm not, I'm not necessarily... Um, I know, I know you can have stern words with family members and stuff like that, especially if you start repeating the tropes, that, oh. uh, the tropes of Trumpism. But I think that I was thinking at the top of the show, you said about why we follow this so much. I've always thought that Americans in general, your attitude to democracy is just incredible. It, it's like, it's your national sport. Like everything comes down to democracy and you're so evangelical and optimistic just about the pureness of the process. And Trump is a real threat to that. But I don't think of the, whatever we're looking at now, uh, 48% of the popular vote that's gone to Donald Trump. Is it 48? Something like that, yeah. Of the popular vote that's yeah. gone to Donald Trump. There's 68, coming on 69 million voters that have voted for him. I don't think that even the majority of those share Trump's disdain of democracy and his, his attitude. Uh, a lot of it will be habitual. They've always voted Republican. Yeah, team. Yeah, and especially sports. in the, the... Yeah, sports, again. Uh, the, the great land masses in the middle of the country, the states like... Kansas, Wyoming, Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma. Yeah. Like yeah. these are all red States. It would take a lot for them to not be red States, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're full of racists. They're full of, you know, misogynist things like that. I imagine a lot of these communities, it's just because they've always found the Republicans to be better for their, their interests, their communities. Um, so it's, why do people vote for Trump? Someone needs to answer that question because there's going to be another yeah. Trump. Like you say, Trumpism well, is not going to die and there's going to be a smarter Trump. So yeah. I think they need to get to the bottom of that. They need to separate out his, his constituency into you know the true believers 
and then yeah. try and find that wedge at the top and find out what motivates them uh, or what demotivates them to not vote for the Democratic candidate, whether that's uh, Latinos in the Miami-Dade area or if it's uh, in 2016, it was suburban voters, which seem to have swung the other way this time. I think the Democrats have done a good job. Uh, it was showed in the midterms that they've done a good job of understanding what motivated them, how they felt ignored and left behind. They've worked on that. Mm. But yeah, I think even though the main goal of this election to depose Trump looks like it may be accomplished, I think the overall picture is it's, it's probably raised more questions than answers. Yeah. Oh, Patty, you're, you're on mute. <laughs> you know what? Can you hear me now? Yeah. You know what? I Every time somebody else speaks, I, I put myself on mute and then I just, because <laughs> my memory is like a sieve, just forget to turn it back on. So yeah, apologies for that. I was just saying that, and what's going to be interesting for me and something that I'll keep an eye on is what actually does happen to the Republican Party after what we expect to be the loss for Donald Trump. Because I, I, I don't believe necessarily, although there will be lots of people, lots of Republicans that voted for Trump, I don't believe Republic, Republicanism and Trumpism are exactly the same thing. I think they diverge at times. And we've seen the Republican Republican establishment kind of push back at Trump um, several times. So there'll be plenty of people. Uh, is that true? Is that true? Well, they put because it, it it really has been a full surrender to Trump uh, outside of the John McCain's of the world and so on in terms of every important procedural voter decision, though the Supreme Court, etc. I think you're seeing some late pushback by people like Mitch McConnell right now, who, for instance, uh, are not going along with the whole, you know, uh, the election is a fraud and stop counting the votes and these sorts of things. I think you're I think you're also, by the way, I think and this is most notable. Fox News is not going along with the, you know, conspiracy. You know, their opinion people might, but their news people are very much just focused on the numbers. So yeah, because it's anti I, anti anti democratic. What is yeah, what is likely but, to take place right now? But what what I meant by that was obviously you've got some figures right now doing that, and even like commentators like Ben Shapiro, people like that. I'm slight, slightly surprised, by the way, to see Ben Shapiro um, push back at Donald Trump. Um, but, but more more, I meant the kind of the initial scepticism about him the initial frustration when he emerged onto the scene people like ryan quite obviously in in opposition um mccain you mentioned there which as as you both rightly pointed out probably does have an impact here in arizona um i, I i'm intrigued to see whether his loss if if as as we expect it i'm intrigued to see if that is the end of him within the republican party whether he kind of tries to to cling on and try to come back again in, in 2024 or whether the Republicans go for what you consider to be the, the McCain, the that kind of candidate, the Ryan, the guy that normally guy that appears slightly more moderate in his views in an attempt to to tackle the Democrats moving forward. So that that's the thing that I'm looking looking out for. That's the thing I'm interested in more than anything. Trump himself and his ideas and the, the whole kind of political ideology, if you, if you can call it that, it sounds ludicrous at times to call it an ideology um, because it's not that sophisticated. But that that will not disappear. But will it disappear 
within the Republican establishment, within the nuts and bolts. That, that I think, is going to be the fascinating thing for me moving forward. Yeah. I think, I think what's interesting is if you want to know what the kind of competing concerns are for Republicans, uh, you can look at Mitch McConnell, for instance, who, regardless of how you feel about him, he is a cold, calculating, results-oriented person in regards to, you know, he is willing to run his own mother over with a lawnmower, if need be to secure a big vote on a tax cut or as as really has been his passion project over the last four years to get federal judges, including three, three, which is a third of our Supreme Court justices appointed under Trump to the point where he will and others in the Republican establishment. You know, I think there's this idea that they all just love Trump, but by all accounts, most of them don't really like him personally. But they've been willing to, from a very means to an end sort of way, be willing to back him up strategically, put up with things that would never have been, you know, you hear this term norms all the time. I think norms are are kind of ridiculous now because we've learned that if a president doesn't care about norms, the only thing that will stop him is you know, hardcore law and legislation. Uh, and even then, I'm, I'm not not always convinced about those sorts of things. Um, you know, democracy is very fragile in that regard. What will be interesting moving forward is if the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, which right now you'd have to favor them to do so. Um, how will uh, Joe Biden be able to, to get along with, you know, to be able to work with the Senate? And, and because, look, I think Democrats, including me, had this dream that, hey, if we can get just majority control of the Senate, then all of this progressive legislation. And, and by the way, for all of you who think who are disappointed that Bernie wasn't the candidate, uh, point of fact, because of just how far left the party has moved. Joe Biden is the most progressive candidate in the history of the United States for president uh, who, who made it to made it to become the, the main actual, party candidate. Well, yes, yeah. a main party candidate, actual <laughs> candidate who can win. Anything, yes. yeah. But Let's my, not forget my point is, no, no, no. But but I think that that I, that that is a factual statement yeah, that is. I think speaks to. Um, it, it really speaks to where the party is and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, Joe Biden has run on the idea that he feels he can work with, you know, people across and, and across the aisle. And as much as naive as it sounds or whatever, that's what he's been saying he can do. Um It'd be one thing if we were living in a more normal world and, you know, like in 2008 when, you know, McConnell was basically just like, uh, we're not going to work with Obama on anything. But we live in a COVID world right now. There are things that just have to get done that really go beyond that, that really are bipartisan just from the standpoint of even if you don't agree on how to do it, the, the, the Biden administration working with a Republican Senate or whatever, they, they have to tackle this completely out of control crisis in America, because even if you're a Republican and you don't care about people dying, you do care about jobs, you do care about things being open, you care about the economy and so on and so forth. So it'll be interesting to see what the calculus is there. But what I think this election does reveal is that 
you know, I think anyone who had this fever dream of of this giant repudiation of Trump in the form of Democrats just taking super majorities in Congress and, you know, uh, him beating Trump by 10, elect- 10 points in the popular vote or something like that, it's probably going to be closer to four or five points, maybe six, depending on the final California vote. But I think that that I think this is a wake up call. And when I talked before about the strategic calculus of Biden being disciplined in his campaign to focus on getting to 270 as opposed to, you know, trying to to say, I'm going to campaign in every state and we're going to win 400. You know, we're going to flip all these states. I think he's a realist about where America actually is versus where we in our echo chambers think it ought to be. Uh, You know, I I think that America should repudiate Trumpism in a huge sweeping election. But the reality of the situation, and this is what I've come to know being a, a liberal person living in a red state, is that you can abhor the motivations or in most cases, Matt, as you kind of alluded to, you can abhor... Um, the fact that people are willing to disregard things like basic human decency because their retirement account is under a better situation with this guy if I vote for him. You can abhor those people, but they're not going away. They're part of this country. And in in a representative democracy, there, there has to be a way for those people to coexist and to find a way to actually, you know, move forward. Um, Biden is really campaigned on this idea of, of, you know, you can say it's kind of flowery language around healing rifts. But I think what he's really the subtext of that is we need to actually get some things done and we need to be functional again, because if we're not at least somewhat functional, because I think the idea is that you can't get these people around in a circle who vote for Trump and vote for Bernie or Biden or whomever and get them to all love each other. But I think what he's trying to say is we have to find a way to work together to an extent where we can be a functioning government or democracy because and by doing that, we will get along better as a byproduct of it because we'll have share, more shared interests. Right now, I think people feel like their interests are completely divergent. Yeah. Therefore, you see this huge... Um, gap uh, in terms of how divided uh, the country ultimately is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was quite interested because you've 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 both mentioned the the extent to which this is an election in which Trump has has not been fully repudiated, and the, there is still some kind of lingering doubts as to what's likely likely to happen. I think actually, in this sense. While not everybody will agree with Biden politically, will be on the same part of the Democratic Party. I actually do do believe that maybe, and, and maybe this is something that you'd be able to explain more than myself, Rob. I actually feel like he's probably the best candidate to build that cross-party consensus to work in a difficult landscape where you've got the Senate that is pulling slightly more Republican. He's he's more more likely to get votes in, in my opinion, than somebody like get legislation through than somebody like a Bernie Sanders. And that's not to say that mm-hmm. politically, by the way, I prefer Biden and Biden's policies. I don't necessarily. I just I just think that certainly Biden has tried to set himself up. You look at his speech for us on Wednesday evening in the UK, where he spoke about upholding electoral standards but also that he was going to be the president of America not the, right. the president of the Democratic Party 
look at his record in the past, kind of going across the house and kind of putting out a hand and then um, trying to work with people. I just wonder if if maybe actually that Biden is the the right man for what has been a very di- divided America and and a very divided Senate. I, I don't know what you think though, yeah. Rob. No, I I think that's I think that, that that let's let's just tackle that question. I'd love Matt your thoughts on this too. But yeah. I the question gets asked why why Joe Biden? Um, and if you'll recall, Matt, I know in our group chats that where we've talked about this back all the way from you know the time the primaries were in their infancy and we had a dozen Democrats running. I've been kind of carrying the water for my belief that it, that it should be Joe Biden as the as the nominee, not because Joe Biden is my, you know, like if, if it was up to me, it would be, you know, more, I, like I'm a I like Pete Buttigieg, uh, you know, a decent amount. I, I actually like a lot of Bernie's policies. I I mean, I'm just trying to remember all the Democratic primary candidates. I mean, there were so many. Liz I love Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, who is an Oklahoman and a hero around around both a hero and a villain here in Oklahoma because of how red state is and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, like there's the there was, you know, the answer to why Joe Biden comes down to a lot of pragmatism. And I always looked at how I, I think 2016 woke me up to the realities of how truly divided our our electorate was. And that Trump winning by such fine margins in the in the three main states that Biden is about to flip when Pennsylvania comes through, if if everything tracks as as it looks like it will. um, I always thought to myself, it's not about who who, who sort of a wins social media, wins Twitter, who, you know, has the really quippy line and, and who reflects my exact per- perfect personal principled preference, personal principled preference, say that five times fast, uh, of, of politics and, and views everything the same way as me. There was a very pragmatic part of me that said, I need to acknowledge America as it is more than necessarily, at least right now, I have to acknowledge America as it is um, versus how I quote want it to be. And that's a weird thing because American presidents have generally run on, you know, I want to run and be the president for an America that you want it to be. And I, you know, Biden even says those things. But the reality is that Biden's, the passion for, you know, Biden in terms of the turnout, the fact that he has now received more votes than any candidate in history, um, you know, all these things is fueled by anti-Trumpism more than it is about, a, you know, particular affection for Joe Biden. But Joe Biden's greatest asset is that, A, he is known He's vetted because of that. I mean, people, it's not like you're going to find a bunch of new surprises, even though they want to try and make up stuff about his son or whatever about Joe Biden. But he does represent regardless of how you feel about any particular policy. And I know this sounds very hammy and very kind of lame and cliche, but he his he exudes a level of decency and humanity because of the personal losses in his life and his experiences that is such the tonic for many people right now to what we have just experienced over the last four years. So I think that the reasons for Biden are, are a, that he is pragmatically more a candidate who does better because of his working class background with working class voters in those key States. And you can say, well, why wish he appealed to this group in California more, 
or, you know, in these other states more, but it's a mathematical exercise at a certain point. You know, his argument was, I've got to find a way to get these votes, then we can use that as a platform to then do the things we want to do. And that's why one of the smartest things he did, though, I would say is, is he leveraged his personal relationship with Bernie Sanders to bring him and his campaign staff into the full the fold of his campaign staff as soon as he became the nominee to help write plans and do those sorts of things because he needed that buy-in because what Hillary suffered from was you know, Bernie and Hillary not getting along well and therefore Bernie's supporters sitting at home and not voting. You didn't see that this time. Um, I'm sure there are Bernie voters out there who just refused to vote for Joe Biden, but I, I think that there was a... The, a voluminous, I would say, response to people this time that you don't just get to sit out of this election no, no. because your preferred candidate wasn't there. So, Matt, I, I want to come to you on that. Do, do you think uh, over time, do you think that there is maybe a better understanding as time has gone on? And, and when you see how narrow these margins are here in the election by, by in certain key states, do you think that you or others maybe will have gained a better understanding of why Biden ultimately ended up probably being the best positioned candidate for the Democrats at this moment compared to maybe some of the other options out there? I think you can still make arguments for both sides. Um, this is my own personal bias just because of my personal principle politics and sure. the way I conduct my politics in the UK as well. Um it's it's easy for a lot of people, and a lot of people are shouting off on Twitter at the moment, saying, "Oh, Bernie would have walked this. Bernie would have done this. He would have won Florida, stuff like that." Yeah, maybe, maybe not, but it, it's not really relevant now, is it? One thing that could be pointed out is in Florida, where obviously Trump won, and he's won kind of handily by the standards of Florida in recent elections. They voted over sixty percent for a fifteen dollar minimum wage, so mm -hmm. they're voting for yeah. directly for progressive policies. But then yeah. they're also voting for Trump. So I think that's a question that needs to be answered. But I, yeah, I can accept the pragmatism argument completely. Um, and if if that's what their internal data is bearing out, that people are, because I'm sure that they don't just walk into a meeting room and decide this is how the American people think and then just all shake hands and walk away. They would have done polling on this. They would have you know, canvassed people, canvassed their own members, the precinct captains, all these people. And if that's what the people are looking for at the moment, then it was sensible uh, option and the point you made about working across the aisle is it's very correct as well uh, it's actually being used as a stick to beat biden with by the left that he's a bit too friendly with uh, mm -hmm. some republicans in in the senate but i think people have to remember what choices that, are going to have well, exactly. at a certain point if, if the, yeah. they retain control of the senate i think that's the key yeah i think people have to remember that working across the aisle does not mean working with the opposition leadership it means picking off one or two senators. And if you look at the midterms now in 22, there are potentially competitive Republican-held seats in Florida, Iowa, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Now, if you take Iowa out of that list, that's a very familiar list to people who've been watching this over the past few days. So those Republican senators will be looking over their shoulder, and one or two of them may be convinced to cross the aisle on certain legislation if they think it might carry them forward and retain their seat in 22 although the other the opposite may be true that they may feel you know the the cold breath of mitch mcconnell on their neck and potential retribution from the rnc for doing that but i guess that's up to them if they want to risk it but uh yeah i don't think it's i don't think it's fatal for the uh, agenda if they don't take the senate um there's always one or two senators that can be picked off if you want to use more cold language 
Well, I, I think the thing about the Senate, though, is, see, and this is where this is what's going to be tough for Biden, too, is that a lot of people have been willing, you know, who are especially part of Bernie and Elizabeth Warren's factions have said, look, for, this is a case of first things first. You have to get, you know, I, I think uh, it was Biden's uh, one of his uh, I think it's his uh, operations, uh, the guy who runs basically the operations for his entire campaign who had this anecdote about how, you know, there's no point in doing anything until the shit that's on your your table in front of you has been cleaned off, that you can't do anything until the shit has been moved. <laughs> and, and, and I think the idea is that a, step one is you have to get Trump out and get a Democrat in, um, but really just to get rid of Trump so that you have a, f- a platform to do these things. But I think for a lot of people, and this is what will be tough for Biden, that came with the idea that, well, if Biden wins this election, then there's a great shot then that Democrats are going to control the Senate. And then we can you know, expand the judiciary. We can pass progressive legislation that Biden will be pressured to pass um, and that he's committed to passing, frankly, if, if he has that ability. If they don't, um, obviously, if, if, if Mitch McConnell and the Republicans even have a one-person majority, yes, you're right, Matt, there are opportunities there to pick off a senator here and there, and that's what Biden will have to do in terms of being able to, to, to intelligently up, apply that pressure when needed. But it, it would be hard to argue that you can have as ambitious of an agenda from a progressive standpoint if, if Democrats, I mean, it's, it's really kind of basically fundamental if they don't have control of the, of the Senate. So it will come down to this idea of can, you know, Democrats will have to sort of adjust their expectations based on the outcome of the Senate. The good news is, is I mean, the good news is, is that there is still a, a possibility that Democrats can control the Senate right now as we speak. Um, it appears that the the uh, Georgia in both their races are going to go to a runoff uh, election. Um, compl- it's complicated, but essentially, if, if one candidate in in a three person race doesn't reach the fifty percent fr- threshold, then the t- the top two go to another special election. Um, if the Democrats win both of those seats they would have a tie in the Senate and the vice president cast the tie-breaking vote and they would therefore have control of the Senate. If they don't, then McConnell and the Republicans control. And then I think, you know, for Biden, it's going to be tough. And, you know, will will people understand? Will they have a nuanced understanding of the fact that, like, you can't do everything that you want to do? But I, I think conversely, and, 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 and Patty, I'd love your thoughts on this too, like, I think we've learned a lot over the last four years, and, and I certainly have learned this as an American citizen who thought I, he knew a lot about how things work, and, and we'll kind of end here. But the president, as much as I'm kind of disappointed that we may not have this blue wave and this, you know, all this control, I would have taken any bargain that got Biden elected and Trump out. And because I've learned over the last four years that the president of the United States on his own has way more ability and power to do things than I ever imagined before. Uh, And, you know, the Paris Climate Accord comes right 
right to the front of mind or you know the the willingness for instance to to allocate and release uh disaster aid to Puerto Rico these are things presidents can do without uh you know uh, you know without con- you know the congress having to approve everything so like these are things that really uh, are so consequential and so you know patty I'll kind of come to you to start and, and Matt for some final thoughts on this but what do you feel like that you have have learned during this process about the power of the president of the United States that both scares you and potentially encourages you uh, in in an outcome, you know, depending on the outcome of, of things over here uh, in the next day or so? No, I, I more or less came to the same conclusion as you, to be honest, in, in that I initially thought that the president needed everything behind him in order to function, but it's quite, not quite the case. Um, Biden will have difficult challenges in front of him, but there will be opportunities for him, slim opportunities perhaps initially, to get through the kind of legislation he wants. Going back to the issue of uh, what I'd probably class as pragmatism, I draw a parallel between the US and the UK. And certainly for myself, I, I think I would say I've probably become more pragmatic in the way I go about casting political decisions and and voting. (laughs) And yeah, that actually doesn't really mean that I'm I'm talking about a shift ideologically. But what what I'm saying is if if somebody like you've you've given the example there, Rob, you've said that I would have taken any bargain and just to get rid of Donald Trump. And I actually think that's pretty much the way we need to look at things in the UK with regards to uh, Boris Johnson and, and Dominic Cummins, who's arguably just as dangerous um, for our own democracy. Um, and certainly the Labour Party in the UK is particularly interested at internal wars and internal division at this moment in time from all sides I, I think it's probably fair to say that needs to just be put to an end if the if there's a message from the US it's that there's a there's a common goal and in some cases a co- common enemy and that if you focus your fire on one group of people or one person then it, it needs to be that common enemy um so so yeah that, that hopefully that that lesson is learned I have to say I'm quite pessimistic that it will be learned in the Labour Party over here um, on the evidence of the, the past few weeks and months, but but let's see. Yeah. Matt, your final thoughts on, on everything we've talked about. Um, we're As we're recording this and finishing recording, I mean, we're we're getting closer to potentially a call of Georgia and Pennsylvania, but we're not there yet. I believe Biden's going to win. Uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm too, I'm very... Uh, you know, Everton with a two nil lead on Newcastle uh, in extra time, sort of just going to wait. Uh, but just in general, final thoughts on, on uh, the election, uh, this experience and, and, you know, just, uh, you know, your, your general, uh, your general feeling. What you said on the power of the president, um, I think there might be a, an element of Pandora's box over the past four years in that Trump has acted almost with an unprecedented abandon when it comes to things like uh, executive orders. Now, that's not really been the case in the past for either party, for whatever reason. Maybe it's just adherence to constitutional principles or a sense of fair play. But I think if he 
is minded to do so. I think Biden has now got, well, if he wins, obviously, that Everton pessimism creeping in. If he wins, he's he's got that cover that he, he could throw it around a bit, if he so wished. Precedent. Yeah, there's precedent there now. Which is both scare, both encouraging and scary, depending on what your opinions of, of wielding power are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think the vast majority of his executive orders that are going to be issued uh, would be to undo the mess that's been left. Um, yeah. But uh, overall thoughts on the process. In terms of learning, I'll tell you what I've learned. I've learned a hell of a lot of uh, county names. <laughs> I can now locate several in, cities in the counties that they existed just by in, these past few days alone. Allegheny County and Philadelphia County. Oh, it's fantastic yeah. names. Wisconsin, uh, really Oshkosh, good. and Kalamazoo. Yeah. Kalamazoo. Cal- yeah, I know it's great. <laughs> but but yeah, no, you're absolutely right in saying um, yeah. Any any result that got Trump out was was the main goal, and everything else has to follow it. And on our side of the pond, um, despite my firebrand rhetoric at times, I do follow the same principle. There's a quote from. Dennis Skinner, who was as far left as you could get in the Labour Party, which was any Labour Prime Minister is better than a Tory, even Blair. <laughs> and in this case, any Democrat is better than a Republican. You know, yeah. I'm not going to say even it's- Biden because he's he's not, obviously, he's not a blue dog or anything like that. But um, yeah, so fingers crossed. I mean, we've been on for an hour here and from what I can see, there hasn't even been another vote posted, which kind of <laughs> gives an idea of how slow the, slow the process is. But uh, this yeah. is normal in some countries, yeah. it, in Ireland especially, it, it, you know, several days to count. It's not even a surprise. It's it's normal business for them. So I don't know why. Yeah. Obviously, everyone wants to know the result, but if it's the, the right way to do it, if they're counting all the votes as they come in, then... That's what that's yeah. what's got to happen, but uh, yeah, yeah, encouraged anyway. It, it does feel like this endless cycle of uh, well, it's not a cycle, is it? It's been more of a deluge of news and bad news, which, for, from our perspective, started in June 2016. It feels like it's at least on pause for now, so we can have a bit of optimism. I think. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, you know, I think that kind of to to finish up, I, I'm. Things are looking good, and and if Biden does indeed become the president, um, I, I think my optimism ag- again is rooted in a lot of what he's kind of said without saying it, which is that he and, and really he does sort of he used the terminology he views himself as a transitional president. I think that you, Matt hit on something very important there, and and he's talked about it that a lot of the work he's going to be doing over the next you know, a couple of years, uh, maybe longer, is going to be, as much as there's a lot of policy to pass, there's a lot of cleanup that just frankly has to occur. And a lot of, uh, frankly, strengthening certain legislation and certain regulations that will keep abuses of power uh, uh, from happening. But at the same time, it's that double-edged sword we talked about. You know, I think that Democrats uh, at their own peril will, you know, should not be naive about and and about what uh, what they've just experienced over the last four years in terms of you know the other party is willing to wield that power as shamelessly as as any you know and and you can hate it but they're effective and so I think the Democrats have to have a bit of ruthlessness about them to a degree to the degree which they can without with 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 without Senate control they really can't 
but there's still things, there's still levers that can be pulled and buttons that can be pushed. And I think that Biden probably does have to use the the fact that that Trump was so willing to wield executive authority to be able to say, look, I want you to work with me on this legis- legislation, but if you're not willing to, I'm going, you know, I don't want to hear any more lectures about, uh, a, you know, executive orders and, and things like that that you don't like uh, after, because Donald Trump has just basically given in some ways a legitimate excuse to any new president now uh, for good or bad. And that's why if a, a competent Trumpist or a competent Republican coming in is scary. They've ne- He has now shown the blueprint for what a president can, quote, get away with. And so I think that that's going to be, you know, a really, really interesting thing to watch over the next uh, next few years. If, if, if Joseph, if Joe Biden is indeed elected president, I, I keep hedging because I just don't want to jinx it or say anything until it's, it's totally finalized. But gentlemen, uh, Patty Boyle and Matt Flusk, thank you both so much. Um, I know that there has not been, uh, you know, kickabout is for whatever we feel like talking about. And there's not been much Everton content today in a week when we're about to play uh, United, which I know is kind of funny. But I'll be honest, guys, until this thing gets called, I I could not care less about our starting (laughs) 11 or, you know, anything that happens. Uh, But I promise I will I will kind of reshift to that once we get a a result called and, and maybe I can take a deep breath and take this. 10 pound uh, weight that's been on my shoulders for the last four years off of me for a little bit. I can't wait to have my first night of sleep uh, knowing that, that this may be, uh, you know, close to ending. So um, guys really enjoyed it. Uh, as always guys, there's a ton of great content on blue room extra. Uh, for those of you who subscribe, um, there's just so many great things. We'll have weekend preview mailbag. Um, obviously uh, on the free feed, uh, you'll uh, continue to have the weekly and you'll have kick about again next week, which will probably involve a lot more Everton talk. Uh, and uh, of course, we'll have post-match uh, coming up on, I guess they, yeah, they play on Saturday because United were very upset about having to play lunchtime on Saturday. So uh, for Patty Boylan and Matt Flusk, I'm Rob Vera. We'll see you guys again next week for more Kickabout. Take care. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs make a difference. Like our Italian sub, piled high with Genoa salami, pepperoni, and Virginia honey ham. Or our Firehouse meatball sub with zesty marinara, both with melted provolone and Italian seasoning. Your choice, just $6.99 each for a medium and only for a limited time at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your order. Sports Social Podcast Network.